Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, educating, empowering, and connecting Christians to stand on God's word and truth. The man who won't stand up for his own principles is not really a man at all. Get involved by emailing comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. You can't handle the truth! Now, here's the host of Stand Up For The Truth. Mike LeMay. Cutting through the noise and fog of this world and pointing us to the eternal truth of God's Word. Good morning, Mike LeMay and David Fiorazzo. We welcome you to another edition of Stand Up for the Truth. And today being Friday, we'll be reading your comments and answering your questions as best we can. But please remember, uh, we are going to give you our best interpretation of God's Word on serious issues. But please, uh, go to God's Word. Uh, read it. Pray on it. Meditate on it. God's Word has the answers. We're going to present them to you with the best of our limited human understanding, but to take God's Word seriously. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to hear what's on our listeners' minds and to be able to point them to your Word. May we handle your Word well, Father. Your, your Word tells us to be workers approved by you. We should rightly handle your Word. And Father, that is our desire today, that we rightly handle your Word and teach it correctly as you want it taught. So be with us, Lord. Uh, uh, fill our minds and our hearts with your wisdom, not our human wisdom. And we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, before we get to your questions and comments, I do want to remind you, April 19th, Friday evening, and then April 20th, all day Saturday, is our sixth annual Watchman Conference. It's at the Word of the Barn Fellowship in Swamico, right across from the new zoo on Reforestation Road. Uh, Elijah Abraham, a former Muslim, now born-again believer, joins us. Uh, Dave Wager and apologist Jay Siegert of the Starting Point Project. And what we're going to talk about at the conference, I think it's it's going to be important and powerful. How do we guard our minds and hearts against the growing deception of this world, uh, the increasing challenges and threats to Christian churches and believers, how close are we to real, real persecution hitting our nation, and then how do we equip our children and our loved ones to stand strong in their faith with all the deception in this world? And then lastly, how do we become serious biblical apologists answering the questions of friends and neighbors, and bringing them into the eternal light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No cost, but you must pre-register. Uh, you can email me, mike at q90fm.com, or call me here, Seating's Limited. Uh, you must register, and uh, look forward to you joining us. So thank you so much, David. Let's get to our mailbag. All right, Steve says, when you are sharing the gospel, I've heard you present a way of receiving salvation in a couple different ways. Sometimes you say believe and be saved. Sometimes you say repent, believe, and be saved. And I can't recall for sure, but I may have heard you say confess, repent, believe, and be saved. Would you mind clarifying your position? Uh, full disclosure, I do not hold to lordship salvation, but believe, as Paul said, that you uh, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, Acts 16.31. Instead, I hold to lordship discipleship. If you're going to be a growing and obedient disciple, you must constantly be submitting to the word and will of God. That's Steve's. And now Bill writes in and says, Mike, a couple weeks back, just catching up on your podcasts here. Uh, you said that salvation is not the end goal of Christianity, but what, rather perfection in Christ. Could you expound on that, please? Are you talking about lordship salvation, where we are required to turn everything over in our lives to Jesus before we are truly saved? Well, Stephen, Bill, thank you so much for writing, and, and let me try to clarify what I believe the Bible tells us about this. Um, salvation and forgiveness of our sins is accomplished by the grace of God. When a man confesses his sin and rebellion against God and asks for his forgiveness and then places his intellectual and emotional faith and trust in who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross. And what he did on that cross is he took the righteous wrath of God upon himself in our place. So by confessing our sins and rebellion against God, asking for his forgiveness, and then putting our emotional and intellectual faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says we are saved. Uh, we then receive God's grace and God's Holy Spirit, and his grace and spirit continue to convict us of ongoing, even hidden sin in our lives, and we become more and more sanctified as we go through this life. And the epistles are clear that the fruit we bear and increase holiness are the proof 
that we've truly been saved to begin with. And you go to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, and it states that God's grace both saves us and makes us holy. It sanctifies us. And James, of course, warns that faith not accompanied by good works or fruit is a dead faith. So the fruit uh, of increased holiness and obedience to the Word of God is proof that we've truly been saved. Now we go to Ephes- or excuse me, Second Corinthians thirteen five, and Paul says, "Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves that Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test." Now that's kind of challenging for us. I mean, I've, I've been uh, David really meditating and praying on those verses for about six months. So how do I test myself? And there's a lot of different opinions about that, and and I just want to give you what my opinion is and how I try to live it out. And this is going to sound kind of goofy what I say here first, but hear me out. I question my salvation without questioning God's promise of salvation. I look at my ongoing sin, and I wonder how in the world I could truly call him my Lord and Savior when I continue to disobey him far too often. I know I am one of the worst, if not the worst, sinner I know, and I'm deserving uh, his wrath. I don't deserve his grace and salvation. But his promise is that I am saved because I do trust in him as my Savior and Lord. So my ongoing sin just grieves me, and it, it sometimes it drives me to tears. And, and I look at that, that this is proof that I've truly been saved. Because if I wasn't, my sins wouldn't bother me. They wouldn't matter to me. Um, The lordship uh, salvation controversy that both of these are talking about, to me, is easily addressed by the Scriptures, David. If we think we must have perfect obedience to enter heaven, then we're placing the burden of salvation on our own works, and we can't save ourselves. Acknowledging intellectually and emotionally that Jesus is Lord over all things, including my life, and allowing his word and spirit to convict me of my sins— and change me over time, acknowledges that he is Lord. I desire to be more and more made into his image and less and less uh, influenced by my sinful nature in the world. Now, strict lordship salvation says we must perfectly surrender to Jesus in all things. None of us, including Paul, could ever attain that in these human bodies because Paul said we still have this sinful nature in us. So setting that as our bar for salvation will drive you, I think, spiritually insane. You start believing you have to be perfect to enter heaven. Instead, we must be willing to be perfected. His grace should continually perfect us. We become holy as he is holy. We become more perfect as he is perfect. So it is a process. Sanctification is a process where every day, week, and month, I look a little more and act a little more like Jesus Christ and a little less like the old Mike LeMay. Now, Lordship Salvation says we must be perfect to be saved. Again, the Bible says we must be willing to be perfected over time. So we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord of all things. The Scriptures say one day every knee will bow, bend, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. We acknowledge that now we make our best efforts by the power of God's Spirit and His Word to live increasingly holy lives that are pleasing to Him. But we also realize we have a sinful nature, and we're going to fall short sometimes. So it is our confession of our sinful nature and our faith and trust in belief in Jesus Christ that saves us. We then receive God's Spirit. We are granted the gift of repentance by God in His grace and mercy, and that repentance is looking at my sin now and realizing it's wrong and hating it more. And by the power of God's grace, his spirit, and his word, looking more and more like the image of Jesus Christ and less like our flesh. So I hope that answers the question, gentlemen. Thank you so much for writing in. Amy is next. She says, is EFT or thought field therapy anti-Christian? And what about acupuncture for health, pain, and mental health. Well, thanks, Amy. I had never heard of this EFT. I did a little research. It's called thought field therapy, and it's considered a fringe psychological treatment developed by an American psychologist by the name of Roger Callahan. And it says that you can heal a variety of mental and physical ailments 
through what's called specialized tapping. So you might tap on your wrist and that might heal something. You might tap on your thigh. Uh, and it's all about meridian points uh, in the upper body and hands. Um, they claim it provides emotional freedom to move forward in every way of your life. You can tap away your stress, your anxiety, your fear, and live life with clarity and peace of mind. Um, there's so much we still don't know, Amy, about the human body. And let's look at acupuncture for a minute. There is proven, uh, it has been proven that acupuncture can be beneficial mm-hmm. for some things. Pain relief, things like this, all acupuncture really does is use needles to increase blood flow. Now, where acupuncture or this thought field therapy can cross a very dangerous line, Amy, is when we enter a spiritual component into it. You know, acupuncture comes from China. Um, some people use acupuncture as a spiritual thing. It is purely a physical thing. So there's nothing sinful in seeing an acupuncture whatsoever, but understand this is a purely physical thing. You start getting into energy and things like this, just be careful about that. So uh, uh, acupuncture has been proven, and it's a, an accepted medical practice for pain relief, for a variety of other issues, but uh, it's it, it shouldn't be a spiritual thing. And thought field therapy, as far as the tapping thing, I, I've heard people tell me that it does work. I've heard other people say it's really psychosomatic. It's all about getting your brain to think it's working when it's not. So um, there's just so much we don't know about the body. And, and when you look at the human body, David, we've talked about this so often with the billions and billions of cells and the intricacy of the, the blood flow and the heart and the brain and, and all the other organs. It's testimony to a God who created us fearfully and wonderfully. And as medical science is progressing and learning more about the body and the brain, we come out with some good remedies. But again, we must always be very careful, Amy, to demarcate the physical from the spiritual. So Go get acupuncture, chiropractic, all of these good things. They can't help you physically. Um, but, boy, don't don't wade into the spiritual side of things because then uh, then, then we're kind of walking on, on, in dangerous waters. Edward is next. Thank you for the courage in taking on what is becoming one of the most corrupted institutions in the world, professing Christian churches that are selling out to this world. Uh, you are very gracious when you continually point out that not all churches are are falling away from God. And while that's true, many will succumb to the world when the pressure comes to bear in the coming years. Well, thank you, Edward. And it, yeah, it, it's sad that we're seeing more churches mm-hmm. really being set up by the deception of Satan to look more and more like this culture and world uh, where we are called as a church, the, the body of Christ, to be unique, uh, to be set apart, to be holy, to to look nothing like the sinful ways of this world. And in Edward, in my book, I talk a lot about that, and I do have a lot of grace towards pastors in it because Satan is so deceptive, and he can present something that's ultimately bad and make it look very good. Church growth is a classic example. Shouldn't every church want to grow? Absolutely. But how do we grow? Do we grow by looking more like the world, or do we grow by looking less like the world, by looking looking as a unique and holy people? And a lot of churches are selling out to the, well, if we're going to grow, let's look more like the world. Let's attract people with things of the world. And the problem is, over the last 20 to 30 years, as this has become on vogue, a lot of our churches have been taken over, been taken over with unbiblical teachings. And, I mean, you look at the the various denominations that are falling like dominoes to the LGBTQ movement, where homosexuality and gender confusion are now accepted as Christian doctrine rather than the Bible clearly teaching that these things are wrong. So uh, I believe, Edward, American churches are in for the fight of our lives in the coming years. Um, and my book, The uh, American Christianity Slide to Apostasy, talks about how you can kind of tell which way your church might be trending. But even if it's trending away from God's Word, that doesn't mean it's beyond restoration. And there's about 200 questions in that book that you can respectfully ask your church leaders if you have a serious concern, because they may not even be aware of what's happening. Satan is just that good and clever. 
Next, Shirley, I'm sorry, Shelley. Shelley says, will Carl Teichrib be on your show again soon? I have his Game of Gods book, and it's groundbreaking. No wonder Gary Kahn endorsed it as one of the most important books on the One World Movement. I would love to hear a series of full shows with Carl Teichrib. Yes, uh, Carl is coming back on April 10th, and we're going to try to get him on on a regular basis, but he travels a lot. He's very, very busy. But uh, yes, Shelley, we do have him scheduled for April 10th, and we're going to try to get Carl into our regular monthly rotation. Uh, That book is a very powerful book that really opens your eyes to everything Satan's doing behind the scenes that we don't often see promoting this one world government and ultimately the one world religion that will worship Satan. Barb is next. Good morning. I ran across a video on Facebook yesterday and wondered if anybody on your staff is aware of the group Justice Democrats. It was an interview with AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and discussed the process of how this organization literally asked for nominations for potential future Democratic congressional representatives. I can't help but wonder how many Americans even knew this organization existed or what their purpose is. Wow, there are multiple videos if you just Google Justice Democrats. It's crazy. Uh, Thanks for everything you do. I recently tried, I'm sorry, I recently retired, and I'm so happy to be able to listen to your show every day now. Well, Barb, we're happy you can listen too. Uh, This movement, yeah, uh, Ocasio-Cortez has really uh, put together this Justice Democrats movement. And thank you, Barb, because I had not heard of it, but I did some research. And uh, if you look at this Justice Democrats movement as the the, uh, counteract to the Tea Party movement of 10 to 12 years ago in the Republican Party, uh, the Tea Party stepped up and said, hey, we want to return the Republican Party to its conservative roots economically and socially. So you had this Tea Party movement within the Republican Party, and it's gotten beaten up pretty good. Uh, Well, this uh, Justice Democrats is the exact opposite. Uh, Ocasio-Cortez is really recruiting radical Mm left-wing, pro-abortion, social justice people and trying to throw out the quote-unquote moderate ring of the Democratic Party. And if you've watched her at all, and I don't spend a lot of time, but I pick up news bits, her and Nancy Pelosi are completely at odds um, on almost every issue. And Ocasio-Cortez, think of Bernie Sanders only about 50 years younger. <laughs> I mean, she is an avowed socialist. Uh, she is for the murder of innocent children. Her Green Deal there's not enough money in the world to pay for her Green Deal. Literally. It, literally. There <laughs> is not enough money. And when you start parsing and, and asking them questions about this whole Green Deal and what they stand for, their logic or illogic just falls apart. But sadly, David, as you've written, we don't have a media that's holding people's feet to the fire. So this Justice Democrat movement, Barb, is the exact opposite of what the Tea Party movement was 10 to 12 years ago in the Republican Party. David, that's why I think this 2020 presidential election is going to be so fascinating. I think assuming a radical, radical, radical left-wing Democrat gets in there, and it isn't someone like a Joe Biden, you're going to have a well, very— Joe Biden's radical. <laughs> well, not compared to these people. Right, exactly. Well, you got to go back 50 years, and then in comparison, Joe Biden's radical, Obama was radical, but now this new oh, wave of this leaders is, in the Dem Party are so far left. Th- this is this justice Democrat movement. Let's just let's just peel the paint off it. It is godless communism. That's what it is. Godless communism. You will worship the government, not God. And by the way, everything you you have, everything you've earned, the state owns it. And it's going to be redistributed as the state seems well. So you've got uh, an election where you've got a man, Donald Trump, who said socialism will not happen on my watch. And you've got this these young guns and even an old guy like Bernie Sanders really pushing godless communism. You know, I, for one, I say let America make its choice. And then we as Christians, nothing really changes in what we are to do. We're to share the gospel and make disciples. How we do that, the realm of religious freedom, it could change big time as of 2020. Next, uh, Jamie says, I'm reaching out to you in regards to the topic of vaccination. Um, It is well known that our Heavenly Father commands us in Matthew 5.21 specifically, you have heard that it was said of those old, uh, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment, knowing that the issue, or I'm sorry, knowing that the tissue of aborted fetuses is used 
in the production of vaccines. What is your stance regarding this issue? Are you pro-vaccination, pro-choice, or against vaccination? We should remember what our Father declared in Matthew twelve thirty: He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. We should also remember that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. I look forward to your response regarding this matter, matter, and let us continue to stand firm in God's love and truth. Jamie, thank you. And I will not uh, suggest that I'm an expert on this issue of vaccinations. Uh, I can give you my, my personal feelings on it, Jamie. Um, I'm not a big vaccination guy. Uh, part of that is experience when the... Uh, Flu vaccinations first came out about 10, 12 years ago, remember? Everyone needs a flu shot. I got a flu shot the first year and got the worst flu of my life. (laughs) And for the last 11 years, I have not received a flu shot. And any flu I've had has been very, very mild. My wife always says that even though I don't eat well, I've got the immune system of a mule. For some reason, my flus, when I get them, are 24-hour varieties, and I'm back on my feet. Um, I don't believe all vaccines, Jamie, use aborted fetus tissues, what medical science is finding out is that um, when it comes to, you know, using um, uh, DNA, if you will, from aborted fetuses, it doesn't work as well as taking DNA from mature adults. So I, I don't know. You very well might be right that aborted fetuses are in all of these vaccines. I don't know for sure. Um, but I think you raise a very, very interesting point here. If we are using dead children in the vaccines, is that something we should really participate in as believers? It's concerning enough that there is even an amount of vaccines that use any kind of DNA or tissue from aborted fetuses. What are aborted fetuses anyway? Murdered children. Exactly. Human beings that were in the womb at one point, living, growing, because dead things don't grow. So they were living, growing fetuses. The Latin word for fetus means little one or offspring. So they're growing in a human mother's womb and... This turns into a money thing because it's oh, just, just like selling yeah. aborted baby body parts. And they've been doing it for years. There's studies on this. The media, of course, doesn't report it, but you can easily find out this is concerning. So now if a fraction of those are used in a certain vaccine, we, we just don't even talk about this as if it matters. Well, I'll be honest with you. I hadn't really thought much about it till Jamie brought it up. Um, I, I, I used to work for Wisconsin Right to Life, and I do know that studies were showing when they try to use DNA from aborted babies, for some reason it doesn't work as well as when you take them from stem cells in particular from, uh, from adult people. Um, so, Jamie, I, I wish I could give you a clearer answer here. I mean, I do know this, and I've been watching this in the news. Some parents who are refusing to inoculate their children and are being blamed for smallpox coming back and polio coming back and everything else. Um, so there's a lot of pressure on people to vaccinate. Uh, I went to a doctor five years ago, and he said, oh, by the way, while you're here, I'll give you a flu shot. And I said, I don't want one. He said, you have to. I said, no, I don't. He got belligerent. You have to get a flu shot. And I said, no, I don't. I will not get a flu shot. And he was ticked at me. Mike, what, what about a tetanus shot? I got one of those when I was 10. You don't get those anymore? You know, David, I, I just I haven't had the need for vaccinations a lot. Well, doctors say that all it takes is one little rusty nail or stepping on something in your yard, and, and the tetanus supposedly protects against that. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I don't think all vaccinations are bad. I mean, vaccinations helped us to almost get rid of polio and smallpox and things like this. But, uh, Jamie, I think this really, in my opinion, probably falls under what Paul called a matter of conscience. What does your conscience tell you? Should you get the vaccination? Should you not? Um, it's a tough question, and I wish, Jamie, I could give you a clear answer from God's Word, and maybe it's there and I just haven't found it. But I sure do appreciate your writing in it. I think, like you said, now that you've written, Jamie— it gives us all something to think about. When we come back, a interesting question from Anne and Brock. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to Mike LeMay. Uh, next to Anne, a question about sexual freedom and freedom of religious expression. Anne says, great discussion on the coming clash between sexual freedom and the freedom of religious expression and conscience. I think we all know which 
the world values more. It's not a matter of if, but rather when our religious freedoms are stripped away. Like you, I struggle with how, if at all, this should affect my public life. Yeah, I tell you, I think we're gonna we're seeing more and more of that, Anne. And I, I, what I try to guide myself by is, while I have this religious freedom of expression and conscience, while I'm still granted that as an American citizen, I need to be out there publicly as much as I can and, and sharing in the workplace and sharing with neighbors and sharing whenever I get a chance. Uh, you know, interestingly, Dave, I was invited to a Tea Party uh, meeting about, I think it was when Romney was running for president, was that 2012? And the Tea Party had me, you know, talk about this and that, talk about that. I got booed by some people at a Tea Party because I said, you know, two things. Understand, number one, Mitt Romney's not a Christian. He's a Mormon. And number two, Mitt Romney can't save our nation only by turning to God and repenting. So we need to be on our knees asking God. I had a smattering of booze at a tea party, and I I am as conservative as conservative can be. Um, and our freedoms are going to be taken away from us one day, uh, just like they have been around the world. Uh, we're going to be persecuted one day. If we're not willing right now while we have freedom to boldly stand on God's word and and be people of truth and grace – when real fear hits, you know, we're, we're going to be cowards. We need to take advantage of the freedoms we have. We need to stand up and fight for them. But really, when they take our religious freedom away, nothing should change for us in theory. We, we are given a mission to make disciples of all nations. Um, and we're going to see increased pressure coming from the government. We see so much pressure now on Christians in Hollywood or news media or public teachers, but all the more time to double down, be bolder than ever, speak the truth in love, and let the effects happen. And Jesus warned us these things would happen. Uh, So let's just not let the world bully us anymore. Brock writes in, I'm not sure if I would have baked the cake or refused if I were Jack Phillips. But the real issue is that every person's conscience as a Christian should dictate their action. When you strip a person of their conscience, they become animals and cease to be truly human. Great email, Brock. I don't know what I would have done either if I was Jack Phillips. I guess it's easy to say I would do this until Mm -hmm. you're the person in the the spotlight. Um, But uh, I, I guess I trust that Jack did what he felt the Holy Spirit was telling him to do. I would not condemn a Christian for baking a cake for a homosexual wedding. Um, I think the important thing is how are we light and salt? If baking the cake or not baking the cake, how can I shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this situation? So, But we're going to see more and more people uh, face Jack Phillips scenarios moving forward, Brock. Kyle is next. Why is it so hard for Christians to love homosexuals and those struggling with gender identity? I have a friend who is now transgender, and I don't think any worse of him because of it. He is still my friend, and we hang out together. I figure it's his decision to make. This is not that complicated. I can love him without agreeing with his lifestyle. Well, Kyle, I, I don't disagree with anything you said, but but let me ask you this. If your friend is not a believer, do you care about where his soul is going to go for eternity. I, you know what? It's 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 easy to love people by just coddling them or agreeing with them, but but your friend is clearly embracing a worldview and lifestyle that the Bible says is wrong. And do you do you love him and care enough for him that you care where his eternal soul is going to spend eternity? And Kyle, I will confess, we have not as Christians done as good a job as we should. We always say, hate the sin, love the sinner. We, we haven't done a real good job with that when it comes to people struggling with sexual identity or gender. We need to do a better job, but please don't go too far overboard and mistake tolerance for love. We are to be like Jesus, who was born fully with grace and truth. Some people are very graceful but lack truth. Some are all about truth but lack grace. We are called to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, the one who was born completely with grace and truth. And and sometimes, Kyle, love is not patting someone on the back as they're walking over a spiritual cliff. Sometimes love is tackling that person and saying, don't go there. I love you, but don't go there. So uh, a tough issue, and it's only going to get tougher as we move forward. 
Leonard writes in next, has the church lost its moral standings to speak on the issues of sexuality with all the sex scandals that many churches face themselves? How can the Catholic Church, in good conscience, call homosexuality a sin when it covered up for hundreds of homosexuals and pedophiles for decades? How can Christians condemn homosexuality when surveys show the majority of them struggle with thoughts of adultery? We must reclaim our moral authority to speak out against sin, and it starts with us repenting of our sins as members of the body of Christ. Yeah, a great email, Leonard. Um, I still struggle with sexual temptation. I'm 60, I'm almost 65, and sometimes I still allow my thoughts to go a way they shouldn't go. But I acknowledge that that's sinful, and I ask God's forgiveness for it. Um, so I think... We don't lose our moral standard to preach on sexual purity just because we're tempted to not be sexually pure. Now, if we are condemning the homosexual while justifying our own adultery, we got big problems. And Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 7. And in other cases, you condemn someone for something that you're doing the same thing, you're going to be condemned. Mm. Or Leonard, where I think it starts is we... Number one, we do need to take sexual purity in our churches more seriously. You are so right. We have many, many people in our church churches that are living sexually impure lives. Uh, the temptations, sometimes giving in to those temptations and actually sinning against our own bodies. This is epidemic in the Christian church. I think we need to own that. I, I think for too long we kind of painted the homosexual as the worst of sinners while overlooking our own uh, sexual sins and desires and things like this. But again, just because we fall to sexual temptation doesn't mean we're not believers. And we need to own that sin. We need to acknowledge it. Uh, we need to use our struggle with sin as believers as a way to reach others with the gospel. And so, but you're absolutely right. I think we have, in the eyes of the world, We've lost gravitas because we overlook um, uh, heterosexual sin in the church while condemning homosexual church or homosexuality outside of it. Brenda said, "Just finishing your book, American Christianity slide into apostasy, Mike. It is excellent. Not only do you point out how Christians can tell if their church is sliding away from God's word, but also great questions people can ask their church leadership if they have any concerns. It is also written with tremendous grace toward our church leaders. I highly recommend people read your book. It will help them grow in their walk with Jesus and help them spot the clever and subtle ways Satan can deceive any one of us. I especially like how you write that we often ask the wrong questions, particularly the question of, can a person lose their salvation? It is clearly a book for Christians who want to think deeply about their faith and the direction of society and the church. Well, Brenda, thank you for your very, very kind words. And it sounds like, by God's grace, you got out of the book exactly what I wanted people to get out of the book, that... Um, the Bible is very, very clear that there will be a great falling away from the Christian faith in the final days before Antichrist appears. Paul writes about this in Second Thessalonians, and Jesus wrote about it quite a bit also, that many who call themselves Christians would fall away from the faith. Also, Jesus said many false prophets and false Christs would, would arise to deceive people. And we are seeing this happen in American Christianity. We are seeing... Uh, Christians, people call themselves Christians, but they don't act like Christians. They don't behave like Christians, and they don't believe what Christians are to believe. And that whole thing about us wrestling with this, can a person lose their salvation, the important question I point out in the book is, how do you know you're saved to begin with? The Bible says we can know. And how do you know you're saved to begin with? We have this wicked, deceitful human heart in us that can convince us of something that is not reality. And we need to take a, a step and a step back and look at ourselves internally here. Uh, the Bible is very, very clear. There are a lot of fake Christians. Many will call him Lord, and he will say, Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. So um, also our, our church pastors, we need to learn how to respectfully and calmly confront them if we have concerns in the church. Not concerns about why do we have a piano player instead of an organ or why do I have plastic chairs instead of padded chairs or why the color of this carpet. I, seriously, let's get above that. 
But if things are being taught or not taught that are a concern, I hope my book helps you to be able to go to your pastor gracefully and humbly and, and recognize he may not even be aware of how the church may be sliding away. So we, we've got to approach this thing with grace. We, our pastors and elders are due respect by the positions they have. They are due respect and we need to make sure we, we respect them, but we also must make sure that they are held to the same standard that elders and pastors are held in God's word. So thank you so much for your very kind words on my book. Ray writes in next, this battle for sexual or gender equal rights in society is only a precursor to shutting down churches. Pastors who cannot see this are as blind as those who follow them. Loving LGBTQ people and sharing the truth of salvation, confession, and repentance is not rocket science, but we cannot seem to get it right. And I think the reason is that we don't really love the lost. We're more concerned with them loving us and looking like tolerant Christians. Yeah, I tell you, Ray, I, I thank you. Uh, and I think you're right. I don't think this is rocket science. Um, I think the message to all people is that all of humanity, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, are in a rebellious state against God. And, and God wants to redeem every one of us. It's his will that not one be lost. And the type of sin and rebellion that people uh, bring forth against God comes in all different colors. It can be sexual. It can be our money. It can be idol worship. It, it, it can be all of these things. So our message is clearly that all of us have sinned and deserve eternal damnation and separation from God. But God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to provide a way for sinful man to be reconciled to God. And when we acknowledge our sin and place our intellectual and emotional faith and trust in who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross, we're saved. So we should maybe get less hung up on the individual sin of people and take a bigger picture look that all of sin, all deserve condemnation, all of us, every one of us. And the only thing, Ray, that separates you and I as born-again believers from the wicked people of this world, the only thing that separates us is we acknowledge our wickedness and our sinfulness, and we've asked for God's forgiveness. And and so if we can help people understand that when you die, you don't just sit in the grave forever. Your soul was to go to heaven or hell, and it's going to be there for a very, very long time. And the Bible gives us glimpses of what heaven looks like, and it gives us very graphic details of what hell looks like. So we need to stay big picture on this, maybe not get so immersed into the individual sin, and, and just preach the word of God in a loving way because God's desire is that all be saved. When we come back, more of your questions and comments. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to Mike LeMay. Our final segment of this wonderful week. This one's a challenging one, and uh, it's from Anonymous. Um, I struggle with depression and OCD, and it's been very difficult, and I tend to isolate and avoid, which is not sustainable, and uh, eventually will affect me to... It will affect me being able to maintain my independence, and I'm scared. I don't really have friends and family isn't really there for me. My parents are both deceased. I don't understand why I can't wake up every morning and just trust God to do the hard things. Every morning I want to, and I go to bed every night having prayed for God to give me strength, and every morning I sleep all day and avoid. Um, it sometimes feels like I'm deliberately being disobedient to God, but I also need to be compassionate as I am on disability for major depression and OCD, so obviously I have mental health issues. I just wanted to know your thoughts uh, for a way to talk to myself so that I can trust God and find strength in Him because, quite honestly, without God, I don't even really care if I'm here, but I know He has a reason for me to be here, so I need to honor Him. Well, thank you. And you know what? Actually, I want you to be encouraged by what you shared, because there's so many great things in what you shared in, in the midst of the sorrow and the confusion that you're going through. Um, when you say, I don't understand why I can't wake up every morning and trust God and do the hard things, you're not alone. Mm. Uh, 
I feel that every day. Why am I not trusting God more? Why am I continuing to listen to lies? Why am I continuing to follow my flesh instead of following him? You show every sign to me, and I'm not a mental health expert. Uh, you show every sign to me of a serious Christian who loves God and wants to follow him, and you struggle with how to do that. And I'm sure the mental health issues you have are real, and th- they're creating some confusion in your mind. When I read your email, and I've read it about 10 times this week, the words that kept jumping out at me were from the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And I just, I just sense that in you. I sense that you love God in the things you've written here, that you struggle with why can't I find the joy in my Christian walk, and why am I in this pool of, of sadness and depression. And so I just want to encourage you that the questions you're asking and the statements you're making to me, clearly show the heart of a person who loves the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and be encouraged. And all of us wish that our problems would miraculously go away when we become believers, but often they don't, and sometimes they get worse. And I just want to encourage you to stay on your medication for now. Uh, Above all, I want to encourage you. You said you're all alone. You don't have friends, and you don't have family. Find a family. Find a church of Christians who can walk alongside you. Um, if it's a formal church or if it's a group of believers that you know, um, be with them. Uh, let them comfort you. Let them challenge you. Let them encourage you. Um, uh, my heart breaks for you. But but on, on the other hand, I, I look at so much of what you've written here, and it's encouraging to me. There's a lot of Christians who struggle with depression and sadness. And that's just a result of sin. Please don't let Satan convince you that your struggles are because of a particular sin you've committed. It's an effect of the fall, going back to Adam and Eve. There are many of the great Christians throughout history suffered with depression. It is a real condition brought on by the fall. Um, Stay in your word. Keep praying to God. uh, Ask him for a miracle, but then also Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And if this is the cross that God is asking you to bear in your walk with him, gain strength from it. And and again, continue to cry out to him, continue to tell him how much you love him, and, and learn by the grace of God to trust him more every day. I just sense in reading your email, you do trust God. You do. You've laid this at his feet, and you're doing the very best you can uh, suffering from a very, very serious mental issue. Take strength in that. And and one other thing, I don't know how old you are, but all of us, uh, let me just assume for a minute you're my age, 64. You got maybe another 10 or 20 years of life in this world. And when you maintain that faith in God and believe in his promises, all of this depression is going to go away very, very soon. And you're going to be with the Lord forever. There's going to be no mental illness, no depression, no doubt, no nothing. So hang in there. Trust in the Lord. Uh, continue to reach out to him every night. Continue to confess your shortcomings to him. Um, and just do the best you can. But please, please find a community of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that can help you um, carry this burden. And thank you so much for writing. Yeah, good reminder, we were not made for this world, so I'd encourage him or her to cultivate an eternal perspective. And read Scripture out loud. Read the Bible out loud as much as you possibly can. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We're not saying positive statements, and it's all about, I can do this, I can do that, yes, I can, yes, I can. No, you're reading Scripture, you're reading truth, and that will... That will dig it. That will get down to your spirit and, and give him strength, him or her strength. That is great advice, David. And again, it's not about I can do this. And we're not talking Tony Robbins babble here. Focus on the scripture that says what God does. Look at those beatitudes. Thank you, David, for bringing this up. Read through those beatitudes, and and read through them every day. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who suffer. Uh, you know, just you're blessed. And that means you will be happy one day because of the trials and tribulations you're going through. Steve writes in and says, what are your thoughts on when someone passes on from this world? Uh, does it matter to God if their body is buried or cremated? 
Thanks, and have a blessed day. Well, thank you, Steve. I don't think it matters at all because, uh, you know, our bodies will be resurrected one day and we, we receive new perfect bodies. But even think of a person who's been dead for, let's say, 30 years in the grave. Their body's already rotted and deteriorated. It's going to look nothing like the new body. And think also, Steve, of the people that were burned at the stake and martyred for God. Mm. They were cremated. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't their choice. I don't think it matters at all. Once we die, our soul goes uh, either to be with the Lord or not to be with the Lord, and the condition of our body at that time does not matter. Harold writes in, says, Statements of faith for a church are very important, and Pastor Abendroth made a great point about a supplemental document about what the church believes about social issues like marriage, abortion, etc. A growing number of churches do not want to take definitive stands on these issues because it causes, quote, division and might uh, discourage seekers from coming. I get their point, but they should just be clear on where they stand and let God draw people to the church. I agree, Harold. And a couple of you have actually, over the last couple of days, sent me the doctrinal statements of faith and the supplemental documents your church uses. And I love that. And I like that. I, I would say the one thing maybe, though, Harold, I, I like what Mike said about having a definitive statement of faith and then have a supplemental document that talks about issues in society, sexuality, gender, marriage, whatever it might be. But I also would encourage pastors to refresh people's memory about that. Don't just develop the document and set it aside. We should be continually preaching on these things and reminding people because the world is getting so good with its clever lies and deceptions. So we need to be reminded of these, not only our doctrinal statement of faith, but those supplemental issues that, that might call them on, on how we react with the world. Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, thank you so much, Harold. Next, uh, we have Gene. Have you guys seen this project called Church Clarity? I've been tracking it for about a year, and it averages about one to two articles a week that promote its goal. The crowdsourced database aims to track as many as North American churches as possible, where each one stands on the affirmation of homosexuality, transgenderism, feminism, and so on. Their primary data point at this time is tracking the positive affirmation of homosexuality. Beyond this, they seek to audit churches to whatever extent possible, assigning scores based on the percentage of leadership positions assigned to women and minorities, LGBTQ, etc. It seems a haunting framework for the persecution to come. Progressives often work to become the de facto clearinghouses of truth and morality, Snopes, ADFL, Southern Poverty Law Center, and others who uh, curate who is good and bad. And this site seeks to perform the same function for Christian churches. Companies such as Google then pay for the services of these cultural watchdogs to hide, censor, or outright uh, deplatform anyone deemed a threat. The site has decent funding so far and is working very hard to provide the data needed to ratchet up pressure on nonconforming churches. We all know this is coming, but it's both fascinating and horrifying to watch the groundwork being laid. Thank you. I had never heard of this site, but I did check it out uh, after you emailed me, Gene. And yeah, they're exactly what you're saying they are. I'm going to take a contrarian view on this for a minute. I'm glad they're doing it. I really am. I, to me, anything that will force clarity in our churches is a good thing. Because right now, too many churches are hiding behind ambiguity. We don't quite want to address these issues, and the less said, the better. I'm glad that places like this exist, because I think every church and every Christian and, and every nonprofit organization should go on record as to exactly what they stand on, what they believe, and what they deem to be uh, acceptable biblical behavior and unacceptable biblical behavior. So I'm kind of glad this is happening. Um, you're right, persecution is coming. Uh, the Bible tells us that. It's going to happen. It could be a year. It could be 10 years from now. We don't know. But I would rather we had churches forced to put their feet to the fire to tell people exactly what their doctrinal beliefs and statement of faith is instead of all of this ambiguity out here. So um, while it's, it is, you're right, it's fascinating and horrifying. But I, I guess I'm at a point in my life, Gene, where the more clarity I see from something, the better, because we all should know where our church or denomination stands on these issues so we can make a choice to stay or leave. All right. Carol writes in, I became a Christian at age 60 and was baptized. You know, D David, I'm sorry okay. uh, to interrupt you, but that's a long question. Okay. Uh, Carol, I promise we're going to get to this um, 
we will get to it next week. I Actually, promise we're you. Friday. We have Elijah Abraham, but Carol. Two weeks from now, we'll do. Yeah, it. Carol, we will address your question or during Monday. the week. Yeah, okay. all the question Monday. It's a it's a very tough question, but maybe let's uh, grab a net before we say goodbye. Okay. Uh, and that says, could you do or have you already done an episode on the biblical perspective of social justice? Though I wasn't in the class, our church had a Sunday school class on social justice, and I'm hearing things about the class that are concerning to me. I'm trying to organize my thoughts before I speak to someone about this. Annette, thank you. Your your email has really inspired me to take a step back on the show and kind of return to some of the basics. Yeah, that's kind of why we started Standing for the Truth. <laughs> yeah, with social justice. So, uh, Annette, um, today I uh, the quick answer I will give you is there is a, def- a difference between what God calls justice and what some in the social justice movement call justice. If you'll notice in them, and and a good barometer in looking at these social justice organizations that call themselves Christians is they'll talk about poverty, they'll talk about climate change, they'll talk about prison reform. They say nothing about marriage, sexuality, and gender. Can they truly be social justice organizations, Christian social justice organizations, if they're promoting things that are unbiblical. So I think the key is to find out in these organizations, what do you view as injustice and what should we do about it? The other key to understanding it, Annette, is in spite of all of our human works to bring justice to this world, they're going to fail until the Lord returns, destroys this heaven and earth, and establishes his everlasting kingdom. So, Annette, I am working on a show to really specifically address social justice. It's probably going to be a couple of weeks because of my schedule, but we'll be doing a series of what I call basic shows in the coming months on a lot of these issues, social justice, new age, word of faith, all of these good things. So thank you so much, Annette, for writing in. Uh, last couple of people we have not gotten to. Uh, we will get to you as quick as we can. And, and again, this uh, lady, uh, Carol, who wrote in, we will address your question on Monday. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show and tell you about our guests next week. We're getting ready to wrap up today's show. Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. Now, here's Mike LeMay. A jam-packed week next week. Uh, Preston Chandra, who has done some work with James Walker of Watchman.org, has a new book out called Papa, Let's Talk About Jesus. We're going to talk with Preston about that on Monday. We're also joined next week by Gary Kaw. Patrick Wood of Technocracy News. We look at the move towards a one-world government. Pastor Randy White. And next Friday, Elijah Abraham joins us for a hour-long discussion on Islam, Christianity, and really how the church in America can get back on track and being the church that Christ died for. There's still some very, very good churches out there, folks. But some of them are just starting to slip towards what I call American Christianity, where instead of standing out in stark contrast against this world, it's like the edges are being sanded down and the church is looking more like the world, the very world Jesus said should hate us. Unity, in in John 17, Jesus said one of the signs of true biblical unity is that we're hated by the world. So if we're looking more like the world and want to be more loved by the world, we're, we're presenting a false unity, exact opposite of what Jesus talked about in John 17. So uh, jam-packed week next week, and we look forward to uh, you joining us again. Please tell your friends about Stand Up For The Truth. Uh, send them to standupforthetruth.com. And uh, we appreciate all of you taking the time to write in your comments and ask your questions. And may we always be faithful in giving you answers directly from God's Word. For David Fiorazzo, Mike LeMay, Standing Up For The Truth, remember our Watchman Conference, email mike at q90fm.com. Be bold, strong, and unashamed of the gospel because the Lord your God is always with you.